some of you are really new faces, which is exciting. So thanks to me and Alana. Um, thank you so much for joining us for Rosh Chodesh. We do this like monthly. We learn about the month together and share thoughts or hints in, and we do all these sorts of things. Everyone should come and feel free to come every week. I don't usually host it actually. Usually Danielle Sturman hosts it. In the other room, she'll be here in a second. But we're so, so lucky this month. So blessed that our phone will pass with us. I don't really think he needs an introduction. <laughs> everyone knows him. Um, everyone knows you. But aside from being the, Rosh Ki, the rabbi and spiritual leader of his Kila and Nefrat, he also inspires millions with his music and his Torah. Um, and we're just really lucky to have him here in Tel Aviv. So thank you for coming. Thank you. I'm really. lucky. I feel lucky. I feel honored. We'll sing the Negone too. And we'll jump right into it. Da da da. 
so blown away. First of all, I'm, I'm so honored to be around people that are, that are mevakshot. Mevakshot. Like, usually we have this, this sense of like, if you want, you're selfish. If you're, if you're asking for more, you're selfish. You want more. But in, in the premium of, of what we're supposed to be, we're supposed to be people that are wanting. We're supposed to be wanters. We're supposed to be mevakshim mevakshot that want more so I'm around people that want more and that's just that's amazing I'm in a house that wants more than just not in a doesn't mean you're not thankful for what you have but you know that for our children's sake and for the next generation want more like to ask for more to, to so that's just a very humbling thing to be here and I definitely got to tell my wife that she has to we have to figure out babysitting plans next time and she'll, she'll, she'll come with me but in the meantime I've checked with her and you're all invited to come and also spend time by us. We have, we have an amazing dream happening uh, in Efrat with a community of, of real soul searchers. And it's open for, it's, it's ours. It's for everyone. It's not anyone in particular. So that's, uh, that's definitely how I wanted to make sure you all know that from the beginning. Why am I saying Tel Aviv, Tel Aviv? Let me tell you something. As much as I could plan before I go somewhere to, that I'm, I'm going to know what to share, and what I think should be a good thing to share. Sometimes, and it's usually when you least plan it, when you don't search for it, like whatever you thought is going to be altered by something that happens to you right before you get to where you go to. As I'm driving down the Ayalon, and I get off at, where was it? Probably either LaGuardia or Dera HaShalom. I don't remember which one. I don't have such bikiyot in, in the... I can tell you about like Yushalayim and Gush Etzion. The, the exact highways, I don't know exactly everything, all the exits. Um, but I think it was the LaGuardia, actually. No, 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 I remember now. HaShalom. You'll see why I'll, I'm, I, I'll tell you later why, why I remember it was HaShalom. I get to... Uh, you get up to the light and you're going to make a left. And right away, you can already see a guy that's going to come and ask you for money, right? We're already, you know, in, in L- I'm from Los Angeles. We have, I'm sure it's all over the states where you basically, you know, you give someone a, a dollar, a few shekels, you say l'chaim, like he's going to say a whole story. I have three people to support and everything. Say that, l'chaim, just, it should be good for you, right? So I open my window. I have like three shekel. And before I could say to him, l'chaim, literally, he, he says to me, he doesn't even miss a beat. I didn't even see that he was wearing a kippah until afterwards. Not that it really mattered in the, regarding giving tzedakah, but it mattered regarding what was happening. Give him the three shekel. This happens a few minutes ago. And he looks at me and he says, Which is a Kabbalistic term. means in Aramaic, means from down here. An awakening from below. Which is also another Kabbalistic term. It's like the Eliyahu Navi of the, of, the, of the streets of Tel Aviv. He's quoting me Kabbalah. Itaruta means an awakening from above. 
He says, do you realize these three shekel is causing an awakening above? Ze Elul. Toda. And he walks away. Let me tell you how deep that is. What's Elul? If we take it with the Rosh Tevot, that is they're most known for. So Ani Dodi is it aruta dilatata. That means I am to my beloved. That's the awakening from below. That's my work during Elul. It aruta dilatata. The awakening from below. What am I busy with? How am I busy awakening my heart? Opening my heart. What's the? What am I engaged with for 30 days? Vidodili. And my beloved is to me is the it aruta dilaela. Is the awakening from above that boomerangs back down into me. That's already Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot. That was all given over in a nutshell by a homeless person in ten, during for t- in 10 seconds at a street light in Tel Aviv. So you could plan a million things to say. And then Hashem says, I'll, I'll take care of things for you. Just you do what you have to do and I'll do what I'll have to do, right? So I'm just very shaken by that, by, by that moment right now, by this person. Because that's definitely uh, a, a good place to start with. Why do I remember that it's Derech Hashem? I'll tell you why. One of my best friends in the world was someone who died, today is five years ago, and I just came from the cemetery. I just came from his, uh, from a small gathering of his family, and he's buried in Harazitim in Yerushalayim. And he was very, you may have known him, actually, you've heard of him, Rabbi Shalom Brat, because he knows, he knew your mother mm-hmm. and your uncle. And today was his yard site, five years, and he was my best friend in the world. And his name was Shalom, Derech HaShalom. And he gave me a lot of very um, deep, meaningful insights into life, into Yiddishkeit, and definitely into Elul, and definitely into what, that, what this homeless person just told me. I think, though, there'll be one, good, one more nigun that we should sing in order to... Uh, Continue this vibe of Ani Dodi Vedodili, back and forth, up and down, awakening from below, awakening from above, meeting each other in the middle. And this song is in Hebrew and in English, and uh, from the moment I learned it, from the moment I, record, I recorded it a few years ago, it's really the anthem of my heart. And it's from two different prophecies of both Yirmiyahu and Yishayahu Hanavi. Let's start first in, uh, in Hebrew. <laughs> I have loved you for 
evidence I have drawn you with my love an everlasting love I have loved you for this I have drawn you with my love the mountains will crumble and the hillside will fade away but my love for you will not end the mountains will crumble and the hillside will fade away but my love for you will not for you 
to think about two people that you love, you have love for, you think they may have, they may have love for you too, and when you're ready, when you've come up with two people, then open your eyes, okay? There's no right or wrong answer to the following question. Re really. Who thought of someone else in this room right now? Raise your hand. Okay. Don't be embarrassed. That's usually the answer. But that's exactly what we got to work on. When I talk about love, or when the Torah, forget me, when the Torah talks about love, what word does it use when it says Ve'ahavta le? How do we usually translate the word Re'acha? Let's go with King James <laughs> version. How does what the translation usually like? What does it usually go by in English? Love thy neighbor. Very good. So does that mean, for instance, right now, what what what's the number of the street? Four. What is it? three bloch? There's no one, right? Three, it starts at three? Yeah, I think so. Let's go, okay, so let's, let's pretend there is one, okay? And there's five, right? So if the Torah says, Do you think the Torah means that God wants you to make sure that you love whoever lives in number one bloch and number five bloch? And the answer is yes. Why? When we speak about love, we have these very, like, worldly, global, nationalistic concepts that always make love seem so far. It's there, something big. The Torah says it's great to give Miss America speeches, world peace and all those things, and that's a beautiful aspiration to love the world. It is the most threatening thing in the world when you realize that all the Torah really is telling me to work on is that all I have to do is love whoever is my neighbor at any given moment. That's it. Whoever is my neighbor at any given moment. Now that exercise I, I, I did with you, that's something I learned from my friend that I mentioned before, of Shalom Brad. I saw him do it a number of occasions. Generally speaking, the percent, I'm telling you the truth. The, I mean, someone's going to write a, their PhD on, on this exercise one day, because you'll see that it's, a, it's, a, it's startling. Usually, the highest percentage of, of, of people that raise their hand yes to that question is maybe... 5% in any group setting. But that's crazy. Meaning it's, it is what it is. But that's like in our face, like, okay, okay, what's going on? What am I going to do tshuva on if that's, if that's what's in front of me? How could I approach tshuva with that kind of reality in front of my face? Especially since the acronym that's most known for the word Elul, even though I, you know, I have a safer at home, that's filled with different Rashi Tevot, different acronyms for Elul. There, there, there are many of them, right? There, there's so many of them. What Aleph, Lamed, Vav, Lamed stands for. But the one that's mainly, that's mainly known for is Anile Dodi V'dodili. What is Dod? It doesn't mean uncle when Shlomo HaMelech says it in Shir Hashirim. It's my beloved. I am my beloved and my beloved is to me. It's all about love. The acronym for the month of what usually makes us look like this, because of tshuva connotations, is actually love. 
It's all about love. That means that my tshuva has to be about why don't I feel that I'm surrounded by love? Why don't I feel that I'm giving out love? Why is love something distant from me? That's true about human beings, but let's face it. It's our biggest mishagas with the Ribbon Shalom. That's the hardest thing in the world. Hanan Ben-Ari has a great song about this. It's not really a love song. That's like a boyfriend and girlfriend breaking up song, right? What do you want from me? I'm doing everything right. What do you really want from me? So I want to figure out our way to, to kind of like crawl into Elul, into Elul with enough guts to realize like we can handle it. We can handle this very beautiful avodah. Uh, because when you have an awakening of below, of love in your heart towards Hashem, the awakening from above that awaits from you is something not from this world. The climax, the whole, the, the direction and the pinnacle point is definitely on Sukkot, this whole period of time. Up, 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 up. And then Sukkot is like, Sukkot is like, come, come inside. Like Rabbi Shlomo Kabbalah used to say, how do you know if like, your Rosh Hash, if your Elul Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur was on, is if when you walk into the Sukkot, you feel the love, you feel the hug, you're surrounded by a hug, sorry. You're surrounded by a hug, right? So this is where, this is, this is kind of more or less um, why also the first word that I felt when I walked in here was Mevakshot. What are we asking for? What is it that we're asking? We're asking for more. But we want to ask Hashem for a deeper understanding of what it means to get close to you. Now, we did an acronym. I want to do a gematria also. Tshuva is something that we speak about every single day in Davani. Hashiveinu avinu letoratecha vekarvinu malkim dechem vachzineinu b'tshuva shleima lefanecha. Like I always say, I had a friend, big sinner, all year long, conscious sinner, not subconscious sinner, conscious sinner. That was up to no good. And whenever you went up to him, you said, are you crazy? You know better. He's like, don't worry, Elul. Meaning he was like, way, he's like, he was pushing everything till Elul. Elul is going to get his act together. That's Shtuyot. We got to always work on it, hopefully learning better, being better, understand, like, the Chulein. Elul, say, specific Hasidic master, his name was Rav Tzvi Elimelech of Dinov, the Bnei Yisrachar. He says that Elul is the gematria of definitely one of my favorite words in the world because it's my wife's name and that is the word Bina Elul is the gematria of Bina Bina is the faculty of intellect that comes after Chochmah you've heard of Chabad, right? Chochmah, Bina, Da'at Chochmah is like I should, yeah, this makes sense I should work better on myself Bina is what am I really working on? am I going to feel better if I come to Rosh Hashanah because I stop doing Avirot? Is that really gonna? Is that gonna make the love, like, just feel like it's so on? I need bina. I need a deeper level of understanding what it is I'm, I should be working on, what it is I should be investing in during this period of time. That's the that's that's the gematry of the word elul, is bina. So let's go let's go forward. Because you're a group of mevakshot, you want more. It's it's you wouldn't waste your time on a what is it Tuesday, right? <laughs> on a Tuesday night, it's not. You wouldn't waste your time on. You could do anything in the world. You're here because you probably want to to feel and you want your mevakshot more. You want more. Let's let's figure out what this is in the ruach of Elul. 
Let's figure out what this is with the Ruach of Bina. And let's figure out what this is in the Ruach of that by the next time someone asks you if you feel love, and if you think of someone in this room, that every person in this room would raise their hand because they would sense that love is right next to them. As threatening as that may be, regardless of if you know each other, I have no idea who knows anyone in this room. You could be best friends or you could be complete strangers, and yet that wouldn't change anything regarding your answer. That's, that's the shi'ifa, that's the ideal that we're, we're striving towards humanity, that when I say love, it has nothing to do with what I know or don't know about you. It's that I understand that whoever's next to me is all I'm supposed to be focusing on. Okay, with, with all that in mind, I want to share with you something that happened to me when I was a kid. I grew up till the age of nine in Los Angeles. Now, truth is not true. I was born in New Jersey, but it's, it's, I moved to LA when I was younger, and it's when I was about three, and it's so mechila, it's so much cooler to say you're from LA than from New Jersey. <laughs> so that's, that's, that is a confession. But I was born in Englewood Hospital in New Jersey, and we made Aliyah from LA to Ra'anana, not too far, in 1989, when I was nine years old. Okay. When I was 15, something very traumatic happened to me and to many, many people that I knew that was living in Israel at the time. I don't know how many of you were even alive then. I don't even know how many of you were in Eretz Yisrael, but there was a chayal that was kidnapped. This chayal, was, his name I'll never forget for the rest of my life. It's one of these things that happens to you when you're young and it's just, it sticks with you forever. It's not just like, you know, the PSS and every talk to God from such a painful place in the Warsaw Ghetto while we're going through such hell. And he was talking to God about the difference between scars and wounds. Wounds go away as much as they hurt. A wound can disappear. A scar is there forever. Even if the pain goes away, the reminder of that pain is always there. So there's certain scars we walk around with. You could all think of this individually. There's certain wounds we've had, and Baruch Hashem, they're not there anymore. But each person has their own geshef. They have their own, like, plentiful of, of, of scars. That even though the pain is gone, the reminder is there. This name is a scar. And it was a soldier, a very short soldier, originally from, from an American family, who was kidnapped by the Hamas. His name was Nachshon Waxman. Have any of you heard of that name? Mm-hmm. Nachshon Waxman was kidnapped on a Sunday, I believe. On Monday at 6 p.m., I remember these things like, like it was yesterday, even though this is 1995. Nachshon Waxman, a video was released from his from terrorists, from the kidnappers, and he was such a short, beautiful, precious chayal, with the demands of ransom, with the demands that the terrorists were putting on the Israeli government at the time. At the time, the prime minister was... Yitzhak Rabin, Alava Shalom, and that was Monday night. We davened our, our kishkas out like we've never davened before. Every school, every yeshiva, it was like, it was just a campaign of tefillah because day by day was passing, and there, he wasn't freed, he was still alive, they were sending signals, he was still alive, his family was living in Ramot, and Erev Shabbos, on Friday, before Shabbos, his mother, Esther, went on the media and she asked everyone if they would light an extra Shabbos candle for the merit of the protection of her son. That Friday night, there was a failed attempt to free him. And unfortunately, he was killed in the exchange of fire 
between the terrorists and the holy tzaddikim, the chayalim. Another chayal that was attempting to rescue him was also killed that night. And that name is also a scar. It's, I remember it like in his face. His name was Nir Poraz. And the media comes rushing to the Waxman home right after they bury him on Sunday. And of course, what's their question? They ask Mrs. Waxman, do you still believe in God? She said, what, what are you talking about? Why, what, what kind of question is that? So they said, listen, because, because you asked and uh, there was no answer. So do you still believe in God? And she said something so penetratingly deep, so profound. She said, what, what, why are you saying there's no answer? He said, because look what happened. He says, God did answer. The answer was no. But that's a godly answer. The answer only has to be yes. Like that's my cheshbon, that's my relationship with God. Let me tell you friends, if, if that's how we view our relationship with God, Anila dodiv dodili can never happen. Anyone that knows that if you're in a relationship and it's only best based on that the answers are yes to every question, I give you, wish you a lot of atzlacha in your relationship, whether it's with the spouse or whether it's with the child. The answers, there's always answers. It may not be the answers I want, but there are certain things, there's only, sorry, there's only one thing in the world that when you ask from it from God, the answer is always yes. It's not always yes when it comes to a zivuk, to a love. It's not always yes when it comes to parnasa. It's not always yes when it comes to healing, even. Because we don't really understand. Sometimes, you know, when the answer is no, and Muna kicks in and says, God says, you can't understand this, but this probably is not good for you or the best for you in your life. You can't see it, but I'm telling you, it's not the best for you. But there's one thing and one thing only, that when you ask of it from Hashem, the answer is always yes, and it's been proven over and over again that you're always granted your wish. And this is something, you know, the women in our neighborhood, in our community, they are the Rebbes of our community. They are the strongest group of, well, it seems like a very close tie here, but they're a very strong group of women. We've been learning together for a long time. And uh, we learned, they learn Kimat every day together. I learn with them twice a week. This concept I'm about to share with you is something that we've been going over day in, day out for about three years. Because wouldn't you want to know what's the only thing that whenever you ask for it, the answer is always, always yes? Or you'd rather, you'd rather not, because it's too... Uh, they, I, I assume you want to know, yeah, okay, okay, okay. The one thing in the world that when you ask for it, the answer is always yes, is, Ribbono Shalom, please let me have more emuna in you. There's no reality where God says, you know what, I don't think that's so good for you right now. As a, like, like with the Zivug, or with Parnassa, or with other things. There's no such reality where God says, yeah, and Muna, more Muna, that probably wouldn't help you out so much. You'd think that would help you out, but it wouldn't. The only request, anyone that has sincerely asked that from God, um, knows that the answer to that always shows up in many different shapes and forms. 
There are a lot of the Yitzharas that prevent us from having enough guts to ask that question. A lot of mechitzot. But in Elul, as I'm approaching Rosh Hashanah, ending a year, and I'm beginning a year, it seems that that's probably like the only question that's really left for this, for this you know, the end of Tafshin Pei Bet, of 5782. Master of the world, we've been through so much this last year. Can you, do you remember where you were last Elul? Do you guys remember where you were last Elul? It's like, for some people it was like yesterday, for some people it's like thousands of years ago, right? Where were you? Now imagine if throughout the year you constantly ask for the one thing that the answer is always yes. And imagine what the experiences of this last year would be if there was this extra sense of closeness to Dodi, to our beloved, because that's the result of mevakshot, of asking for more. That's the result. The result of asking for more is love. Humanly speaking, when I ask more from a friend, they can get on my nerves. It doesn't work like that above. It's different. The, the, the result of being invested in a relationship where, where you have to believe God is waiting there and saying, use me, use me. Ask me for more. Ask me for more closeness. Ask me for more emuna. Ask, that's what I'm waiting for you to ask me for. That produces that pasuk, ani dodi vedodi li. Think about the person that wrote it, Shlomo HaMelech. You know what's so amazing? This is a little bit personal because my father's name is Avshalom. He should, Bezrat Hashem, have many more wonderful years of good health. My father in the Bible was my brother who tried to kill our father. Do you get that? Shlomo HaMelech, one of his brothers was Avshalom who tried to kill David. One of the Tehidim, which means more than David, that's always a hard one for me to, to, to recite. Right? David singing as he was running away from his son trying to kill him. Think about Shlomo HaMelech, what his life was like. We think more about David HaMelech with his trials and tribulations. I don't know, we're more, we have more of that story of David HaMelech in our life. But think about it. He's a kid, Shlomo HaMelech. He sees what his father is going through. He sees what his siblings are going through. And, his whole, and he had plenty on his plate as well. Yet he understood, I'm asking to believe more in the love that exists between us. That's what emuna is. When I say believe in you more, I'm saying everlasting love. You know, that song we sang before, I still have no idea. Really, who's singing to who? Is it God singing to us or is it us singing to God? The mountains will crumble, the hillsides will fade away, but my love for you will not end. Who's talking to who over there? It's always up for interpretation. That's what it means to ask for more emunah. Asking for more emunah is asking for more love. And that's a very threatening thing to do. Now why is it so threatening to ask for more love? Because it kind of obligates you to be in the picture if you get it. And many of us are kind of cool with like, I'm going to do my semi-religious thing for lack of a better word, my semi-godly thing from here, but I'm not going to go too much because it's comfortable for me to just be from here and then I won't feel guilty if I don't do the, the other things. It's true, with that kind of an outset, you know, outlook, it's, it's true. We won't, we won't anila dodi. It's not going to be an anila dodi. It's a anila shofti ve shofti li mi. I'm to my, to my judge and my judge is to me. 
But the world we're living in and the, and the Yiddishkeit that our children, please God, you should all be blessed with healthy children, happy children in the right time. The, that, that type of Judaism our children are, are waiting for, this is the generation that will not put up, trust me, I have five, both Hashem, five kids, I have four girls and we had a son during, during, the, during Corona. This, is, this world we're in right now, they're asking questions that were never asked before, ever. They're asking questions about closeness and about love within the framework of the Torah, questions that were never, ever asked before. They're so deep. They're so meaningful. They're so monumental. They're really not letting us off the hook. And I've, you know, I took an oath of, even though you're not supposed to take oath, I took like an unspoken uh, oath that I'm never going to give my children those piecing answers that you tell them just because that's what you were told. That's a hard one. Oh boy, is it a hard one. They're bringing out the deepest depths of who we are. Because the world that we bring them into has to be one. That when they walk into a room like this and they're asked about love, they have to grow up in the world that everyone raises their hands in the room. They have to. And our work is cut out for us. But it starts with making God my best friend. It starts with Elul. It starts with Ami Dodi, Le Dodi Li. It starts with using the Bina the inner interpretation of what life is all about. There was a story, I don't know how much time we have. Are we okay? A few, a few more minutes? Yeah. Okay, wonderful. There's a story of the Baal Shem Tov HaKadosh. You know, our Hever, we go to, well, we used to, it's been a while, we go to Ukraine a few times a year. Women's trips, men's trips, and uh, we've, for, about, for a number of years already. We were supposed to, we went to Ukraine, the, men's went, the men went to Ukraine in uh, October, and then we started planning the women's trip for January, and then we're not sure today if it's Ukraine or Russia, so we're not, we're not there right now, right? But, you know, maybe we'll be back there, who knows what's going to be, it's, it's crazy. There's one place in our journey that when you go there, you're transported immediately to, a, to, to the year 1750. And that is the town of the Baal Shem Tov. That's Medjugosh. When you go there, it, it's not, you don't have to use your imagination to wonder what it was like because nothing really changed. Okay, literally. Cobblestone roads. Crazy stories. People living, I mean, chickens literally waking people up like the way it used to be. It's, it's, an, it's a really, besides obviously when you get to where the Baal Shem Tov is and now there's like two or three hotels and restaurants and everything. But really... I don't know if any of you have been to Uman, where Rabbi Nachman's buried. There's like 35 rest, glad kosher restaurants in the premise of, 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 of where Rabbi Nachman is buried. But in Medjibush, when you hear a story of the Baal Shem Tov, and you've been to the town of Medjibush, it's very easy to visualize it, right? right? When I, say, I feel very close to the following story, that one time on a Saturday night, right before Elul began, the Baal Shem Tov summoned his, his, a very top chassid of his, Reb Moshe of uh, Caliver, I think, or something like that, Cleaver. And he said to him, listen, I, I'm sending you on a certain shlichut, a very important shlichut. What's the shlichut you have to go on? You have to go to a certain town that's a, a while away, and you have to get me a certain type of wine that I really, really want, and I really need. And it may take some time, so pack your bags and, uh, you know, just do what you got to do. 
So he went and he followed his Rebbe's orders and it was very, very beautiful. And he went to the place where they were making the wine. It's exactly what the Baal Shem Tov wanted. It was taking a long time. It ended up, he spent all of Elul and all of Tishrei as well in this neighboring town. But he knew that the result would be to bring such simcha to his Rebbe, to the Baal Shem Tov. And he waited for the wine to be finished, and they prepared it in special barrel, in a special barrel. And he, you know, obviously the laws when it comes to wine, no non-Jew can, can touch it. And he was very makpid on everything, and he was carrying it, and he schlepped it with him like holding a baby. Like literally, he had such excitement towards fulfilling this mitzvah. And the story is he was carrying it for weeks till he got back to the Baal Shem Tov. It was pretty heavy. But right before he gets, crosses the border into Medjabush, a Cossack stops him and says to him, what's in, what's in your barrel? Because there's a law now that you can't smuggle beer. He said to him, I promise you this is not beer. He said, no, 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 you've got to show me what it is. Like, I could, I, he was very hesitant to even open it up. He didn't want anything damaged to it. And he was so much pity. He was so proud of himself how hard he was working on it. And he knew, like, this is this will pass. I just got to hold my own. And the Cossack said, get, get, get over here. Come here. And he opened up the barrel and he put his hand in, took a sip, and he said, oh, okay, you could pass. You're right. It's, it's, not, it's not beer. But now the wine is trafe. So he comes back to the Baal Shem Tov and he's so broken. He's so depressed. Now of course the Baal Shem Tov already knew what happened. That's how he operated, right? So this chassid turns to the Baal Shem Tov and he says to him, can you explain to me why I, why I had to suffer so much? After everything I put in, how much I guarded it, how could it be that the result is how it resulted? So the Baal Shem Tov said to him, you did everything right besides one thing. You never asked God for any help on the way. You thought you could just do it alone. You never invited your partner to come and help you in the mission. Not at one, not at any point. And that's what happened. So the story touches me very deeply because when we're in Elul, we have a lot of resolu- you know, resolutions we take on. We have a lot of these like end of the year decision-making, and we know, like, okay, especially when you go, if, you know, in the world of the yeshivas and Elul, everyone comes with all these aspirations and all these dreams and everything. And even if they end up fulfilling and making a V, a check, a mark, by everything they took on, they don't feel anything. Why? Because the point isn't to see how much I could take on. The point is to become mevakshot, to ask Hashem, for help, to verbally ask God for help, even if you don't think you need it. Even if you don't think you need it. What happens to a person when they come to a place of realizing that's what God's been waiting for? A beautiful world called bitul, self-nullification, making myself smaller in order to feel so much bigger. But what really happens is ani dodi. That love that we've been talking about, that hopeful place we're going to get to, 
manifests through the asking of, of, I need you every step of the way. And we already learned, by the way, that's not my chiddush. What I said before about the one thing, this is, comes from the deep books, the deep Kabbalistic works. This is not my, my chiddush, that the one thing in the world that you're asked for that's never, ever not answered is, is emuna in you. Yeah, that, that comes, this is like a secret coming down generation after generation. We should have enough guts going into this new year to ask for that one thing that we know our lives really do depend on more than anything else. We should have enough guts to love, to express love, to ask for love, to realize that love is not an Elul phenomenon. Anila should not be this thing that wakes up in Elul and, 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 and that's it. You know, when I think of like people that really mastered this, there's one, there's a face that comes to my mind all the time. His yard site was last week. And that is the Kohen of all Kohanim, the chief rabbi, Rav, Rav Kook. Rav Aram Yitzchak Kook. You know what he said, and you know, when he first came to Aliyah and he came to Eretz Yisrael, he started off here in Yafo, Tel Aviv. And he saw the beauty, the beauty, the dreams. He saw the love that, that's penetrating people's hearts, but didn't have a way of expressing itself. He saw it, he lived it. So Rav Kook said something so beautiful. Like we said before, Elul is the month of Tshuva. It's like Yira. You've got to come before the king. And yet, what's the Pasuk that kind of like it defines Elul? It's a love song. So what is it? Is it love or is it awe? Sort of Cook described like this. And any of you that have ever been in love, in love with anything or anyone, Bezrat Hashem, healthy love, you'll know exactly what he's talking about. He said that Yira, having yir'ah, being in awe, having that fear, is that when you've tasted real love, you are in such fear of anything tampering with that love. That's that's yir'ah and ahava. That's the balance that we need in our life. Like the Zohar Kadr says that if you don't have both wings, if you only have one wing, you can't fly. The wings of a Jew to fly is the balance of ahava and yir'ah. So it's not just love, but it's also being in awe of the gift of feeling love. And that God forbid if anyone or anything would come and mess with that relationship, you're in such awe over it. So I would, I would hope that we would make the most of, I mean Rosh Hashanah's like, it's, it's so fast, it's crazy. What's today, the, the 10th of Elul, right? Today was Yud Elul. Yeah, it's really, it's there. <laughs> it's like, it's really right there. I give us all a bracha from the bottom of my heart to have enough guts to ask Hashem for more emunah in Him. Simple as it is. Because if we could do that, we'll discover the secrets of our soul. We'll discover the things we really, really want in life. And all the things that we don't really want in life or that are unimportant stop occupying space in our life. And with that, going, going into the new year with so much love like that, where we're destined for... When we say Shana Tova Metuka, it'll actually really will be sweet. Like being close to God will be sweet. It won't be that bitter like it is for many people. You know, like like being what people call from, very exile word, but you know what I mean. People that are engaged in godly service will actually be wearing an inner smile that, that also comes out to the outside. And you'll see them walking on the street. You'll be like, I don't know what they're on, but I know I definitely want whatever they're on, right? 